Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Now, we have been talking a whole lot about the college admission scandal. As you know, uh, what is it? Already 33, 34 people uh, have already been charged. Uh, virtually everybody has pled guilty except for one. I think one or two. And we were talking about and have been, it's not only the issue of the mail fraud and the federal crime. A lot has not been said about the underlying problem they have, and that's the IRS, the tax fraud that went on. Because most of this money, I think virtually all of the money that was paid uh, to Singer's account, it was a... 501c3, a charitable organization where the money was paid into. Uh, these folks trying to get their kids into college would pay into a charity. And out of that charity, of course, the coaches were paid, school administrators were paid, people who took the SATs were paid, and uh, they were given, obviously, those kids were given preference. Well, it turns out that the IRS could have uncovered the scam years ago. It was in plain sight because the most important information, uh, the red flags were filed with the IRS by the key worldwide foundation. This is Rick Singer's charity that he collected money. And if you talk about a, uh, from a regulatory expert at Brookings, said the whole conspiracy was right there in the tax forms. Singer submitted all of it. And an expert in tax law said, I- I'm confident in saying that no human being at the IRS ever even looked at the returns. Why? Low staffing levels. Congress keeps on cutting IRS funds, which I've never understood because the IRS is a huge moneymaker. And the kind of fraud that goes on and the kind of tax evasion that happens is astronomical in the hundreds of billions of dollars. So a key worldwide foundation, Singer's Foundation, uh, was collecting $2.2 million a year from 2014 to 2016. Are you now ready for this? Someone looks at this. And you have a foundation that is that is collecting over two million dollars, no employees. And the address is at Singer's house. Okay, Uh, and uh, Gordon Ernst, uh, which uh, was an independent contractor, uh, was paid two hundred thirty one dollars. In 2014, two eighty seven in 2015, eight hundred and twenty five dollars in 2016. And if you get audited, you have to defend and you don't and you can't defend this. It was all right there because one thing that Singer did was file all the appropriate papers. He submitted it. And the IRS has more data from tax exempt charities 
than it needs to nail fraudulent organizations. Schedule B listings of donors and their contributions. Organizations like Key Worldwide has to report all donors of more than 5,000, and that would have occurred with more than the 33 parents accused of participating in the scam. Now, if you look at one individual item, okay, someone donates $15,000, someone donates $600,000. It's just a question of looking at this and any minimal analysis will bring it forward. Uh, Form 990, there's a whole bunch of clues right there as to how far Singer's scheme went. Uh, And including indications that the money went to universities. It went to schools. Why just schools? Why do individual coaches? Really? I mean, think about this. The head of a lacrosse team, a coach, through a charity, gets paid $100,000. Really? All they had to do was look at it. But they don't have the time. They would have to audit. Charities normally aren't audited if you put in all the paperwork. And this says more about the IRS than it does about Singer. Gee, if I had known my chances of being audited were this low, good God, everything I do is a tax deduction. I've never gone to McDonald's. I've never taken my kids to Disneyland. I have never walked outside of my door without it being a business expense, right? If only. Unfortunately, I actually don't cheat on my, well, fortunately, I don't cheat on my taxes. Now, there is a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. One is a crime, one is your duty. (laughs) Your duty? (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> uh, there is a, a story came out of the L.A. Times about firefighting and uh, <clears throat> aircraft. And uh, I think the reason that the story is being done is Cal Fire is uh, about to spend $288 million on a dozen new twin-engine Sikorsky Blackhawk helicopters and seven C-130H air tankers uh, starting to arrive this summer. And in light of the campfire that uh, was so extraordinary, the questioning is, do these uh, planes do as much as we want them to do, do the aircraft? With us, Chuck Lovers, who I've known for, what, 20-something years, who was on the front line of uh, fires for over 30 years uh, with L.A. County, and uh, Chuck, uh, first of all, uh, thanks uh, for joining us as always. Uh, Chuck, you've been around since uh, aircraft actually started fi- uh, fighting fires, haven't you? Uh, yeah, in the early, in the 80s, or 60s, excuse me, uh, six, late 68, when we first started experimenting with uh, helicopters and, and ground troops. 
All right. So uh, this story that says even though they they may have value, if you look at the money spent, if you look at the limitations, uh, it's really not worth the money. And I know you don't do finances, but uh, you you have to have an opinion, and you're retired anyway, so they can't do anything to you. Well, I I, I like aircraft. Uh, they do well. Uh, the the trend is bigger, faster, uh, you know, for turnaround time, but. The problem is the bigger, faster the uh, the FOS check uh, when it comes out. If you're going a, a greater speed, it breaks up, and then the winds, when the winds are blowing, can carry it away, and, and you don't get the, the desired effect. And that's the retardant that we're talking about. The, the retardant, correct? The the orange stuff that you see, and it's, it's colored so that the they can see it from the air, so they know where they've dropped. Now, in light of the campfire, and uh, I understand, and we've talked about this, that it started, uh, it was moving so fast, the winds were so enormous, there really was nothing that any firefighter could do about it, whether it's uh, aircraft or ground support or anything along those lines. Uh, is uh, Do you agree with that? Uh, that's correct. When the winds are blowing like that, uh, the, the best we can do is just try to uh, get people out of the way, out of the out of the path of the fire, uh, and just you know attack the flanks, and and wait uh, until the wind event stops, and then we can go in and actually do something. Now, uh, one of the other uh, aspects, uh, one of the other points of this article is simply the time it takes uh, a firefighter calls in aircraft, and it can be an hour, an hour and a half before the first one actually hits, uh, and within that period of time, a fire could literally all. Uh, start going out of control. Uh, does that limit uh, the efficacy of aircraft? Uh, yeah, well, tanker bases, you know, they're not in everybody's community, and, and sometimes they have to fly quite a distance to get there. Uh, there's a lot of logistics that has to happen. You know, you, you need a spotter aircraft to go up there and decide where the drops are going to be. You need someone to be air traffic control in the air. Uh, helicopters and airplanes uh, fly differently and, and so they keep them in different parts of the fire and somebody needs to control that so, so there's is it, a lot of other there's, there's a lot of other elements involved in just taking one plane and, and dropping right and, and and to that point uh the amount of money uh that it takes uh would they be better off putting more resources on the ground for example more fire trucks more tankers you think that would be more effective well it, it's really a combination of the two uh in the case in, in the '60s, what we were discovering with the helicopters was, and we had fire breaks back then, where we could take crews and actually put them, you know, at or near the head of a fire, you know, above a canyon that was starting, uh, and the helicopter then would make drops to cool an area down, and then then the the ground people could put out the little spot fires that occurred around them. So, and, and so it was a combination of the two. You can't have one or the other. You have to have both. All right. So uh, your position is, if I get this right, uh, that aircraft, uh, even though it is very expensive, and that seems to be the big issue here, how much money it actually takes to produce a viable firefighting effort with aircraft, is worth the money in conjunction with everything else. It's simply worth $300 bucks. for example, what, LA Cal, uh, what CAL FIRE is going to be spending. Right, because you know the the ground troops really can't ha handle the flame lengths when the winds are really howling, and then the aircraft come in, uh, and you know they they you know, the project nowadays is being dropped in advance of the fire to try to uh, 
you know, you know, you, you, it, it spots in front of itself, and if we can slow down that spotting, we can slow down the head of the fire. Right. All right, Chuck, thanks much. Greatly appreciated. And the reason we bring this up is we are about to start fire season, although fire season has already started January 1st, and it goes till December 31st. And uh, based on what happened last year with the fires, uh, they're anticipating, well, maybe not as bad because we had uh, so much rain coming in. But but, uh, what ends up happening, there is obviously more vegetation. And when it's hot, there's more vegetation that dries out, which means there's more fuel. And unfortunately, we're probably going to bring Chuck back uh, at the next major fire. All right. Now. Uh, over the weekend, some really interesting things happened with the Department of Homeland Security. On Sunday night, uh, Kirsten Nielsen was fired. I mean, just gone, right? Resignation. And uh, no one knew that was happening. And it actually started on Thursday night when the president withdrew the nomination uh, for acting Immigration and Customs Enforcement Chief Ron Vitello to run the agency DHS on a permanent basis. And uh, that was yanked 24 hours later. And even the closest people to the president cabinet uh, advisors had no idea why they found out the same time we did on Twitter. And now he's attempting to name U S customs and border protection chief, Kevin uh, McAllian or McElian or McAllian. McAleen. Him too. McAleen. All three of those guys as acting Department of Homeland Security, even though the statute requires the job to go under secretary for management, Claire Grady, as an acting uh, secretary. And then there was talk this week of creating a new immigration czar uh, to override everything. So what? why is this all going on? Because the president is really pissed off. I mean, he is not happy. And this president doesn't understand what all the other presidents did very early on. And it's inter- and I've said this many times, interview after interview after interview with no presidents. And the first thing that is inevitably asked, Mr. President, what's the most surprising thing that you found out when you uh, entered the White House? How little power I actually have. How limited my power actually is. And President Trump is getting a lesson in spades on this one and doesn't quite understand that he is not an autocrat. Coming from someone who ran the Trump organization that all he said when he said jump, everybody said, how high, Mr. Trump? It don't work that way. That's not the way the federal government works with rules and regulations. So he has been so frustrated with what's happening at the border. He wants to change the asylum system completely, put people in Mexico, which I thought was a great idea. Federal judge says you can't do that. He wants to keep people in detention while they're awaiting their time in front of an immigration judge, which really aren't judges. Well, the court said you can't do that. He's fine with separating families and deporting parts of the families. If mom and dad are deportable, off they go. Now, whether you agree with it or not, that's his position. And he is being just stopped cold. And then later on, and here was my question. You have a president that is so frustrated with the border, as many of us are. 
A lot of us share the fact that it just isn't working. When he says this system is completely broken, he's not kidding. No one agrees more. And the answer is, among those that are who advocate immigration rights, the answer really is just let everybody in. That's it. They all say we believe in border security. Ever, when you ask a Democrat who says he or she believes in border security, the next question is, what does that mean? You'll never, you don't get an answer. All you get is, we believe in border security. The president is at least being specific. All right, you want asylum? You're going to stay in Mexico, right? We're going to shut down the borders. I mean, that's not that he can, because that politically is insane, but there are some concrete things he wants to do. Of course, stopped cold politically and or by the courts. But there is no, well, kind of, sort of, you know, let's talk about this. You know, it's a question of humanity uh, versus security, and humanity is much more important And when someone claims asylum, uh, of course, they have to be released into the population of the United States while they're waiting their immigration hearing. And then you say, but wait a minute, the immigration hearing doesn't happen for two years. And how many people you think are actually going to come back? Well, I'm sure they're going to come back uh, because these are all honest people. And I'm sure that uh, people who are here illegally who try to get work under the table somehow, and uh, most do, a lot of them do, they're all going to come back to an immigration judge, an immigration court, and be deported. They're going to line up to do that. But the reason all of this is happening at uh, DHS is because the president is just so frustrated every turn. And for him, you know what the most important thing is uh, in terms of security in the United States is the immigration, it's that border. We know that more important than cyber uh, attacks, more important than the Russians intervening, more important than what the Chinese are doing, more important that we are so vulnerable to so many outside forces. Nothing compares to the border and the security of the United States. Well, there was a campaign promise. And you keep campaign promises. Just like he promised to release his tax returns. And, of course, he's going to keep that. No, I'm sorry. I I have that one wrong. All right. Okay. So now we have the Democrats who are out there. I think now it's officially 18 Democrats that have entered the race. And there'll be dozens more, I'm sure. They'll be able to field uh, not only two football teams, but I think an entire league by the time this is finished. And so what we have is a bunch of Democrats that want to fundamentally change America. Now, some of it, I actually agree with Pete Buttigieg, who we're going to talk about uh, at 930. You don't know who who he is. You ever heard of him, but you will, I guarantee you. Uh, He wants to abolish the Electoral College. I'm totally in favor of that uh, because California becomes irrelevant in uh, the presidential election, for example. Elizabeth Warren wants to ban gerrymandering. Couldn't agree more. You have whatever uh, whatever party's in power redraws the district so it's guaranteed to be uh, a safe seats. You ever seen those districts? I mean, it is crazy how they're drawn around neighborhoods. I mean, it's not just a square. You think it'd just be a square, right? This area, that area, not even close. Cory Booker wants to limit terms for the Supreme Court justices. Because, as you know, federal court judges, Supreme Court all the way down to district court judges, 
Uh, it's a lifetime. Uh, it's a light. It's a lifetime job. Of course, when there's a Democratic, when there's a liberal court, ter- ter- uh, Cory Booker would shut up. Beto O'Rourke <clears throat> wants to expand the high court. Why? Because he wants to put more liberals on there. Same thing. Boy, when the court thinks the way I do, we want uh, we don't want to screw with the court. By the way, uh, expanding the court, I was tried that by FDR in the 30s. He was shut down so quickly because he had a court that was invalidating all of his programs, his social programs, over and over again. So he talked about packing the court, putting more people on that believed in the way he did. Well, by the end of his term, he had all of his people because everybody had died. Remember that he had been elected four times. So uh, is any of this going to happen? No. No. I thought the one that would have happened was disbanding the Electoral College. You would think that the president would be elected by a majority or a plurality of the American voter. Absolutely not. We now have, what, three times in the modern era where the president lost the popular vote and still became president that I, I just don't get that and i talk to people oh we love the electoral college because it gives small states some stay some uh say states should have no say it should be just a straight election how many people voted for this person how many people voted for the other person so what happens in the electoral college you have small states that have immense power You have Florida, you have the battleground states, Florida, Michigan, Ohio, and then you have states like California that are irrelevant in the general election. Irrelevant. And people love that. Why? For some reason, everybody hates California. Why is it that everybody out there hates California? I I just don't get it. It's true, though. You go to other states and you go, oh, yeah, where are you from? California. And they're like, oh. Oh, oh, there's, a, oh. oh, my God. There is a, real quick, I want to share a story with you. A friend of mine, a very dear friend, got married in uh, Olympia, Washington. Mm-hmm. And she had moved from Southern California and moved up there. And uh, I went to her wedding. And I started talking. And, you know, when see, people would say, where are you from? And I'd go, oh, Southern California. Ooh, Southern California? <laughs> And I would get that, uh, you know, that smell like you're, you just smelled some dog droppings. And it got to the point where people would ask me, where are you from? F you. That's how I answered it. Right from the get-go. And I heard people say, who's that guy who keeps on telling people to screw themselves? And not the word screw either. I was pretty blatant. I, just, I literally walked around the room and just said, F you. Total strangers. Because everybody hates everybody goes. hates California. They do. It's weird. You're right. And the electoral college system uh, makes California one of uh, the least important state, if probably not the mo- the least important of all of them. We have the vast number of uh, voters. We have 10 percent of the population of the United States, and we have virtually zero influence because it's a blue state. And the electoral college it says, "Okay, here's your 53 electoral voters. Goodbye. We're done." And it really kills us. Because I'd like to see some money being spent by national candidates. On the station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you go you go to Florida, right? You can't buy television time during the election. Because every single commercial is sold out. 
same thing with in New Hampshire, obviously, during the primaries, because everybody wants to get going on that. But Florida, you got Ohio, Michigan, here in California. Now, what are we selling? I mean, we're selling window washing. Well, usually you'll see the Democratic candidate not do anything. The only person you see is the Republican candidate who pops on occasionally. Yeah. Late at night after the infomercial. So why is California so important? Because of the money. Sure. Because it's Hollywood. Because it's uh, liberal Hollywood folks that are guilty about making $200 million a year. And uh, they started doing that when they were in high school. All right. Now, uh, the big story that's going on also on a political level is uh, Attorney General uh, Bill Barr is, in fact, in front of the House Appropriations Committee talking about appropriations issues, budgets, uh, staffing, that sort of thing. Uh, However, it opened with, okay, elephant in the room, right into Mueller report. And here's the controversy of the Mueller report. First of all, we are going to get a redacted version of the Mueller report coming up this week uh, or coming within a week, according to Mueller. And he's leaving out uh, the grand jury testimony and he's leaving out uh, peripheral people whose names might be connected and would be uh, egregiously uh, connected to uh, the investigation, saying why ruin their lives when there really isn't a there there. Congress wants it all. Congress wants every page. We don't give a damn about ongoing investigations. We don't give a damn about grand jury testimony. We'll decide the rules, which is just a crock. But the big deal is that obstruction of justice. And there is some controversy there. I wish that uh, that uh, Mueller had been a little cleaner on that. We talked to uh, Ken Starr, and he said the same thing. Or he said that, and then I followed, obviously, saying, you know what? It would have been much cleaner if uh, Mueller had said, yes, there's something there. We believe that there is a violation, obstruction, turns it over to the attorney general, says, go for it like he did with all of the other uh, people who have been convicted and have been charged. Or easily said, we don't believe there's enough evidence. Conversation over. That's it. No. He decided to say, well, there's some stuff yes and some stuff no, and we're not going to make any recommendation whatsoever, and we're going to turn it over to the attorney general to make a determination as to whether charge whether to charge the president with obstruction of justice. That's not what Mueller should have done. The whole point is an investigative committee. And they do turn it over for charging. There is a recommendation. Yes, you charge. So, of course, that leaves it wide open. And the Democrats are going berserk. But as the president pointed out, it really didn't matter what the Mueller report said. The Mueller report could have exonerated the president 100%. And the Democrats said, we don't believe it. That's fake news. We don't care what the Mueller report says, even though they loved Mueller up until the time the report was issued because they really wanted a charge of obstruction. The president hated Mueller up until he was exonerated of collusion and then left up in the air whether there was obstruction or not. And so the big, this is the stuff that's wide open, unfortunately, for everybody involved. Uh, Trump's interactions with James Comey and the issue of loyalty. Do you want my loyalty? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Need your loyalty? Can you uh, look at me and say I'm loyal to the president? And Comey said, no. No, it's not a personal relationship I have with you, Mr. President. I'm limited by law. Trump complained about the Russia investigation, calling it a cloud over his presidency, and asked Comey a couple times, what can be done to lift the cloud? And then he asked Comey, could you publicly state that Trump wasn't under investigation personally? Something that Comey had told Trump in private but wasn't going to go public with it. And again, he called him twice. He said, what can you do to lift this cloud? And then the issue of firing Comey. And then was that to stop the investigation? Uh, Asking Comey about his good friend, Michael Flynn. I hope you see to it, or I hope that you, uh, what's the exact language that he said? I uh, hope that this, I hope Michael Flynn is cleared and you had uh, Comey looking at that and saying, you know what, that is him threatening me or ordering me to somehow uh, alter the investigation. Uh, And the president says, no, no, I just, I said, I just hope it clears. Didn't ask him to do anything. Didn't order him to do anything. Just said, you know what, I just hope this thing clears Michael Flynn is the way Trump describes it. By the way, what Comey said and what Trump said, two different animals, a lot of it is just inflection, and they're going to go no place with that in terms of obstruction. Then the issue of Jeff Sessions, that Trump truly pressured Jeff Sessions not to recuse himself. Now, Jeff Sessions, incidentally, during his hearing process, left out the fact that he had a meeting with the Russian ambassador about the campaign. And then he apologized uh, to the Senate on that one and recused himself because you can't have the attorney general investigating the campaign of which the attorney general was part of. You don't have investigators investigating themselves. So that is another issue they're looking at in terms of obstruction. We're not going to really know until the full Mueller report comes out and see what evidence there is. Mueller had said that there is some evidence that says yes to obstruction. There is some evidence that says no to obstruction. But we're going to leave it up to the attorney general to make that determination. By the way, it took Barr exactly two days once he got the report to say, nah, there's nothing here. We're not going to go forward. And there again is the argument is a conflict. Because William Barr had written that he doesn't think that the Mueller investigation was valid or he had some big criticisms of the Mueller investigation. So already, and there was talks about, well, that means he has to recuse himself. And he said, oh, no, 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 I'm not recusing myself. So we'll see. It's still wide open. And it's going to become a political football right up until the end of 2020 or even 2024 if the president gets reelected. It's a cloud. That's for sure. 
It's a cloud that's not going to go away. As to the obstruction part, collusion is dead. Collusion is absolutely dead. The president when he said there is no collusion. Mueller said there was no collusion. But the obstruction, which, by the way, is a far greater crime, uh, that is a different issue. All right. So let us discuss the border as if we've done that before. <laughs> a couple things are going on. That's Steve Gregory who's chuckling in the yeah. background. Steve is joining us again, having been here yesterday, having come back from the border. And he's got a few other things he's working on. I can't wait till the end of the week when this thing comes together. So. Uh, a couple of things are happening. First of all, a, the federal, a federal judge has just shot down uh, President Trump's plan to have asylum seekers wait on the other side of the border pending a hearing for asylum. One of the things I have uh, uh, asked, I don't know if we sat down and talked about this, Steve, the actual procedure of someone coming. I see this migrant caravan coming up. Going to the border, particularly, let's say, the pedestrian walkway, going right up to the U.S. border and saying, I want asylum. Right. Uh, how, how does that work? Well, it happens It happens two ways. Now, if, if you recall when I was back, when that the, the caravan before last came up and I was in the or on the Mexico side in Tijuana waiting for that caravan to see what it would happen. And I walked alongside them as they crossed over into the pedestrian gate area of the San Ysidro Port. It was called the Chaparral Pedestrian Gate to get into the U.S. And that's when they were stopped. And at that time, there were about 200, 275 people waiting. Well, they were under the impression that they were going to be able to just walk through the turnstiles and say, I'm here to claim asylum. And then, like, come on over here and have a seat. And that was what they thought. Well, U.S. Customs said, no, that's not the way it works. We can only process so many at a time. So... they were doing it the legal way, you know, coming through an actual port of entry. That's one method. When they come in, they are interviewed immediately by an officer. An officer will sit there and talk to them a little bit and find out what's going on, if they have any paperwork, anything like this. If for some reason they believe that they they do qualify to get asylum, it's not up for the officer to determine whether they get it, obviously. It's it's up to them to determine whether they can go to the next step. Then border or the border patrol calls immigration customs enforcement because they are interior enforcement so they come pick them up and take them to a detention center all right so uh, a few questions uh first of all uh i i'm under the impression that legally once they step into the united states soil and they say i want asylum i'm asking for asylum uh then it is not up to anybody in the united states to throw them back over the border pending their right to have a hearing Unless the initial officer screening that person determines they don't qualify to go to but the how, next step. But how do I understand? But how then uh, do you not argue we're denied due process of law? We're right. in the United then States. They can request a hearing before a judge. A lot of times. At that moment. At that moment, they can request. And they can't be thrown back over the border. No, then they're put into a detention center until their day in court, which, again, is another problem because some court cases are taking months up to years. Right. Now, if they come through between the ports of entry or try to enter illegally, the process is virtually the same, other than they're, they're also being processed as All someone right, who's coming in illegally. All right, let me put you on hold, and uh, this has to do with the, with the president obviously shutting down okay. the border. And it sounds like, uh, Steve, we're going to come back and say probably the most effective way to deal with him is to sh- legally is to shut down the border at least the, at least on a pedestrian uh, entryway. And uh, the question I've been asking this all morning, and I'm delighted Steve was able to come in sort of last minute. 
is the issue of asylum at the border that uh, the president has just been told by a federal judge uh, you cannot keep people in Mexico who have asked for asylum. That's a no-go. Uh, you can't separate, uh, of course, families, although the president is asking for that again. And so what happens at the border? Because once someone is granted or asked for asylum on U.S. soil, they have to be paid attention to. Right. And due process kicks in, and they've bought themselves a hearing, and since it's years down the road and they're not going to be kept in detention, they're in the country illegally now for a matter of years. And then, of course, they're told, show up, here's your hearing date, as if anybody shows up. Right, because it's a a civil proceeding. Asylum seeking is a civil proceeding. It's not a criminal proceeding. So, you know, the enforcement part of that, if you don't show up, it's virtually nothing. So they so they they basically have come in the country and they have and this, beat the they've gained by the system. And large is the big problem. This okay. is what people complain about for years because we have a system that is set up in a way because we're overcrowded, we're overworked. Uh, and when I say we, I mean sorry, our our system is overworked. It's overcrowded. Our our courts are overcrowded. The the judiciary processes is the whole thing's very broken. Lengthy. Yeah, the whole thing is broken. So. Uh, what we were talking about, and you came up with something uh, that I during the break that I had no idea. Boy, you talk about a factoid. And that is once someone comes into the country and literally steps a foot in the country, throws his or her arms up and says, I want asylum, they have now bought themselves in virtually forever, uh, pending hearings and all right. of that. Uh, so uh, the the question I have is, you know, is the president right in shutting down the border, at least to, for example, pedestrian uh, pedestrian traffic going over that bridge of San Ysidro, and all they have to do is walk in the door? How do you stop them? You shut those doors down. You just don't well, let them in. But here's the argument to that. Sure, you can shut that down, but we still don't have enough barriers across the southern edge of, the con- or the southern edge of our country to stop them from coming in between the borders. And that's, that's part of the problem, because when they come... Between the borders, they still have the same due process afforded to them as if they came in the front door. So uh, closing those doors will gum up the system there, but it's certainly not going to stop people from coming across illegally. So there's the argument uh, that President Trump is basically right. Well, and that is you put up a fence, you call it a wall, but if you put barrier. up a fence, a barrier, you were describing the one that they put up in Calexico, yeah. uh, this is no easy thing to get over. And if it ran across the United States, which of course is astronomically expensive, it would effectively work, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, in theory, sure. I mean, I still look back at, you know, Janet Napolitano, you build a 30 foot high fence, someone's going to build a 31 foot ladder. Right. Uh, people are going to dig under it. They're going to find a way. But are you going to have 100,000 no. people and come he, over? And, and that, that, was the, that was the claim all along. No one ever said this was a 100% fix across the border. Border agents, border officials have always said it's a deterrent. It's not going to stop it, but it's going to slow it down enough to where it can become manageable. Okay, so we, it, it, have they given you any kind of percentages? 90%, 80%, with well, it's going to be cut in half? You know, again, the reason for the visit in Calexico that Trump wanted to see that particular fence in action because they've had it there for a, a bit. And that border chief there said, you know, attacks against my agents are down 76%. Illegal crossings have virtually disappeared. At that point. At that particular mile section. But they just went someplace else, obviously. Right. But so then, you know, I remember way back when they were redoing enforcement efforts in the San Diego sector and it was pushing people further and further out into the desert. So they knew that those efforts were working, but what happens is they're pushing them out in the desert. Now, you know, 
humanitarian efforts and humanitarian groups are arguing that because of those enforcement efforts, it's forcing people to do things that are deadly. And it's forcing them to go into a desert area to try to cross illegally, which can be a deadly proposition. And it is. I mean, during the summer, particularly, right. it's the middle of this. It's, it's crazy how dangerous it is. So in, see this pilot program that came up, and I, I, I'm curious as to what happened to this. But there was supposed to be a program going on, especially in those countries down in Central America where the caravans are coming from, that they're supposed to have some sort of an, an asylum program set up at our embassies and our consulates down there. And there was supposed to be some sort of a program going on where people could just go to those consulates or embassies, get their asylum cases heard there, get some sort of answer or disposition, and then they could come up with paperwork. Yeah, but who's going to do that? Well, uh, the, the, the reality is, uh, since the vast majority of asylum grants are not going to be given to them, uh, because it's just getting tougher and tougher to get asylum, uh, the economic uh, situation, you can't talk about you're starving to death. Well, that doesn't fly anymore. No. Well, here's the thing. So a border agent and a customs officer, they are not allowed to say, are you seeking asylum? That's They're not allowed to ask that. Oh, I didn't know that. All they're allowed to say is, do you fear going back to your home country? That's the question. And all they have to do is say yes? Yeah. If they say yes, we fear. Okay, so... and Because a lot of times they just come and say, we're seeking asylum. We're from El Salvador. We're seeking asylum. Okay. And then they say, are you in fear of going back to your home country? Yes. Okay. You're going to have to come over here. We're going to go through some paperwork, this and that and the other. Then we're going to turn you over to ICE. ICE is going to put you in a detention center. Then you're going to get your day in court. If a judge decides that you qualify to go through the process, then you get an asylum application at that point. You still don't have asylum status. You just have an opportunity to so talk what, to a judge. So what if that preliminary interview uh, is uh, you don't agree or they say, well, well, let me put it this way. They can't say you're not granted asylum. Only a no. judge at the final hearing can say whether or not. Right. And what you're saying, so once they're here, once they've crossed that border, one step into America, you've gotten an illegal alien that's going to be here virtually forever. In, well, if history tells us anything, yes. And the, 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 the challenge there, again, is that if they don't pass that first screening, they can be put in for deportation unless the migrant requests a hearing. But that was every, that's what everybody's going to do. Well, that's of course they're, they're all being told, coached. Of course they are. That. Looking at uh, what the president wants to do with building the wall, the barrier, and... You know, while I don't think it's a national emergency, I don't think this is Pearl Harbor, which he describes it as, I do think that he is right that the system is so broken and the, well, the arrest of 100,000 migrants trying to get in uh, to uh, the United With States. With more on the way. Uh, and all they have to do is literally cross one foot into the United States and ask for asylum, and they're in. So it could be by the hundreds of thousands. Now, I had said, so why not just not allow anybody in? In other words, just literally shut down whatever border, build the wall, and just say nobody is coming in. Well, we And you said we can't do that. Well, we have obligations through international treaties. We have international <laughs> treaties that were written and ratified after the Holocaust that said we will accept people in under the following conditions. They must have suffered persecution or fear suffering persecution because of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. That is what our treaty says. Now, that I didn't know that it was connected to the Holocaust. Right. Because when you had you had these Jews, it was stateless. they were stateless people, my dad being one of them. Right. Uh, he had no passport. 
He didn't belong uh, any place anywhere. A man anywhere. without a country. He was truly a man without a country, and not alone. I mean, there were right. hundreds of thousands, uh, even millions after that uh, in Europe. And uh, so I was not aware that there, there are international treaties. But does the treaty say that all someone has to do is we have to let people in, that we cannot physically stop people from coming in and allow well, no one in? We have the sovereign right to protect our country and protect illegal entry into our country. That's without a doubt. The gray area is how it's just like anything else with our laws and our in our you know bill of rights and whatnot. People have managed to find a way to game it, find loopholes in it. And in this particular case, you know, it's like the birthright citizenship. That's always been a controversial one too under the Fourteenth Amendment. It's like, well, you know, people are now there are birthing centers across the you know the southern part of the border in Mexico for people that come up just at the right time. So they can enter, cross the border, cross the border have the baby, have their baby, and then then they wait for the chain migration part of it. I mean, so so there are people that are taking advantage of a system, and that's truly gaming the system because right. they also get medical care, of course, uh, far better than getting in Mexico. And I think I've told you that story before, where I was interviewing a man from the Army Corps of Engineers, and we see a, a, a head pop up from the Mexico side, and this, we were like, "What's going on?" And she she comes up, all of a sudden she starts to scale over the wall, and she's pregnant. And she drops to the other side. I, I think she either breaks her leg or sprains her leg. She's hobbling. This guy that I'm interviewing screams at somebody else. They get on the radio, and they call for help. And then Border Patrol shows up with an ambulance. But that's what she did. She had gotten just to a point where she was ready to give birth. And then they basically pushed her over the fence. And then they drive her into town so she can have her baby. So uh, assuming that the wall, the barrier is not going to be built across 2,500 miles or 1,500 miles of border. Uh, in talking to the Border Patrol, and you've interviewed uh, many, many of uh, these folks, uh, do they have an answer or a partial answer? Well, the agents I've been speaking with lots of times say that barriers work. And in, in it's got to be in different forms because the topography and the geography across our southern border is pretty brutal in places. There, we got very, very deep and steep canyons, rocky terrain. You can't just put the, you know, like the Great Wall of China up down there. You can't do that. It's got to be a combination of barriers, technology, and boots on the ground. And that's what they've always told me. Even now, into 20 years ago, when I was covering border issues for the, in the very beginning, they tell me the same thing. It's a combination right. of everything. And the and the government, uh, the Trump administration, is not concentrating on. Boots on the ground, particularly, certainly not concentrating on the technology. It's just the barrier. It's the wall. But again, you know, everyone I talk to is if you had that barrier in place, right. it would probably offer relief for all of the rest of it. That's the point that they're trying to make. And uh, one of the things that's happening, and uh, I don't know if you experienced that uh, when you were in Calexco, certainly in San Ysidro, is because uh, the administration, Department of Homeland Security, pulled 750 agents away from the points of entry to uh, various other parts of uh, the the, uh, the border, all of a sudden you have now trucks that are waiting seven hours instead of two hours. So effectively the threat to close the border is getting pretty close just by, if you have one lane, for example, mm -hmm. or two lanes, which of course the government can do, you've just shut down the border. No well, one's going to wait 15 hours to get through. No, and it... Like you said, you, or but I'm talking about trucks now. Right, right, right. No, but but the trucking centers, like the trucking lanes, are all of them are in a different part of the port of entry. They're usually a few miles away from the actual port of entry. 
the regular ports of entry that you see on TV and stuff like that, those are for pedestrians and vehicle right. traffic. Yeah, but but even then, I was just reading a story where you had a driver who makes the trip several times because lanes have been curtailed right. at that point because they took away so many Border Patrol well, agents. It's it's effectively on its way to shutting down. Right. Well, see, that was also one of the reasons that Trump had listed as to closing the border. That was one of his reasons because he has to take that manpower and put it over to basically babysitting detention centers and processing people in detention centers because this is unprecedented. We've never had this many pe- that I can recall this many people at once. Right. Our system and infra- infrastructure is not designed. Right to handle these kinds of people. And it's a very different kind of immigrant or migrant. Right. It used to be single guys from Mexico. Now it's families. Now it's unaccompanied minors. It's predominantly it's predominantly families, but a lot of single guys are still in there. And then a story, I just had an agent reach out to me the other day about a story. They do not do biometric recordings of kids under 14 years old. So there are no records of kids under 14 years old. They just found the other day this kid has been coming across with different sets of parents, different sets of men and women. And so they can come through as a family unit. And then when they come through and then they're released, then the kid goes back down to the border. He's picked up by somebody and he's paired up with another man and woman so they can come in as a family unit again. That's and, a way to make money, isn't and it? And that his kid's family is being paid for the right to do that. Absolutely. That's yeah. child exploitation and human trafficking. Uh, yeah, pretty much. All right, Steve, thank you. We'll talk again. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.